funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, First Lady Tammy Murphy launches Family Connects NJ, a new initiative to start a statewide maternal home visit program. We still have a long way to go, but this, I think, is, is a game changer. Plus, the deadliest day for Israel's military since the start of the war. 24 IDF soldiers killed as pressure for both sides to commit to a ceasefire deal continues. And increasingly, families in Israel are saying it's time to prioritize the return of the hostages over what Netanyahu is promising, which is victory over Hamas. Also, lighting up just got a whole lot more comfortable. Cannabis consumption lounges will soon start popping up. It's an opportunity for the industry to continue its growth that it's been on that trajectory and growing. And at capacity. We do get a lot of returns for people uh, who give out pets for Christmas. Animal shelters are overwhelmed following an influx of post-holiday pets being returned. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Tuesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. New Jersey is continuing to plant its flag in the women's health space, holding the state's seventh annual Maternal Health Awareness Day as the Murphy administration tries to chip away at disparities in maternal health outcomes that have overshadowed progress for years. New Jersey still has one of the country's worst overall maternal mortality rates. Today, First Lady Tammy Murphy launched Family Connects NJ. It's a statewide universal home visit program that'll connect parents with nurses for a home visit within the first two weeks after giving birth. An initiative first proposed three years ago as part of the First Lady's larger Nurture NJ program. But a senior correspondent, Brenda Flanagan, reports the line is getting blurred on Murphy's mission now that she's announced a U.S. Senate run. Postpartum care is just as important as prenatal care. With four kids of her own, Assemblywoman Shanique Spates lived the experience. She joined advocates to welcome the official launch of Family Connects NJ, a program offering at least three in-home visits by a nurse to mothers and their newborns. It's critical care in New Jersey where black mothers are far more likely to die of pregnancy-related complications than white moms. And just being a black woman in this space, I remember um, times when I, the four times I came home after delivering the baby, feeling disconnected, feeling alone, not sure who to talk to, and then you also embarrassed about how you may feel. The program's designed to be universal, whether parents are insured or not, and open to everyone, income and immigration status notwithstanding. Only Oregon offers something similar. Its most vocal proponent, First Lady Tammy Murphy, supported the concept before she announced her run for U.S. Senate. The challenge overcoming problems posed by inequity. I believe those practical problems are the very same ones at the heart of our maternal health crisis and are the direct result 
of systemic racism. Nurses with Family Connects NJ will screen for postpartum depression, child abuse or neglect, and potential partner violence. They'll offer guidance for breastfeeding, infant care and development, and they'll help connect families to social services like housing and economic assistance, says legislative sponsor Senator Teresa Ruiz. Just to check in and say, are you okay? To take a look around, because there are things that you'll notice. Is there food in the refrigerator? Does the house look tidy? Are they living in a safe space? The program sets specific goals to reduce New Jersey's maternal mortality by half within five years and to eliminate racial disparities in outcomes. We still have a long way to go, but this, I think, is is a game changer. But in political terms, what differentiates this event from a campaign function for Tammy Murphy? One of her primary opponents calls it an unfair advantage. So at this point, I am calling for the First Lady to actually stop uh, using her official role as First Lady uh, in going to places to campaign. They claim they're not campaigning, but they're actually getting access because she's still keeping her title. So the concern is real. Is there a lot of cross-pollination that's happening? Listen, anything that I'm doing in my life, I am completely consistent. And this is something I've been supporting and working with. Uh, Nurture NJ is something, I, it's, it's something I've been working on for years. So uh, as First Lady, I'm really thrilled to be here right now and helping to get the word out on this. Murphy says the $35 million program rolls out first in five counties, Cumberland, Gloucester, Mercer, Middlesex, and Essex, where it's operated as a pilot program and will expand annually until the entire state's covered. I've heard a lot of good feedbacks from the moms there. Like, why, where was this program when I had my first child? The program does need to hire 250 more nurses. The website's active at familyconnectsnj.org. In Trenton, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. This week, reproductive health is also front and center as elected leaders and state groups commemorate the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, a landmark abortion rights ruling that was overturned in June 2022. Since then, 21 states have banned abortion outright or restrict the procedure earlier in pregnancy. In other states, the fight over abortion access is still playing out in courtrooms. Well, Congressman Frank Pallone today again called on Congress to codify reproductive health rights, including abortion, into federal law, similar to action taken by New Jersey lawmakers two years ago. Pallone led the House passage of the Women's Health Protection Act that would restore the right to abortion nationwide, but it never moved in the Senate. The head of Planned Parenthood New Jersey joined Pallone today and warned the restrictions to abortion access will affect other parts of reproductive health care that get overlooked. In many instances, these are wanted pregnancies. These are folks who are trying to start and have families who are dealing with oftentimes the worst moments of their entire life. And so I, I bring up miscarriage management often because I think all too, uh, it is an easy scapegoat to talk about abortion in a framework that is not tied to to miscarriage management that is not tied to families who are uh, in, in many ways dealing with a crisis that, that none of us would wish on our very worst enemy. 
On Monday, the Israeli military saw the deadliest single incident for its forces since the war with Hamas began October 7th. Israeli officials confirmed 21 soldiers were killed near the Gaza border. Another three Israeli soldiers died Monday during the combat in the southern part of the enclave. The military is now focusing its efforts around Gaza's second largest city, Khan Yunis, which is considered a major advance in the war, which has caused widespread death and destruction while displaced placing millions of Palestinians. But it's unclear whether the move will bring Israel closer to its goal of defeating Hamas or freeing the roughly 130 hostages still being held captive by the militant group. According to the Associated Press, a two-month ceasefire proposal was on the table in which hostages would be freed in exchange for the release of Palestinians detained in Israel and top Hamas leaders would be allowed to leave Gaza and relocate to other countries. But is there enough pressure to cut a deal? I'm joined by Michael Boyle, Associate Professor of Political Science at Rutgers Camden. Professor Boyle, always good to talk to you. Let me just ask you first about where this offensive is headed. We saw a very deadly day for the Israeli military, uh, some 24 soldiers in total who were killed. Now they're fighting in this very densely populated area. It seems as though it only gets worse from here. It does. The, the center of operations has shifted to the south around Halunis, and that is also a stronghold of Hamas fighters, as well as a very densely populated area. And so this is going to be much harder fighting with probably much higher casualties. And what's recently happened where 24 Israeli soldiers were killed in what looks like a failed detonation around a building is only going to apply more pressure to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to end this offensive early. This plus the growing pressure from the United States and Europe is going to lead a lot of people to ask the question, you know, can he really politically sustain intense street fighting in the South? And especially as it pushes more and more to the refugee population have been pushed to the south. Well, and it's interesting because the public sentiment has really taken a shift, not just from the U.S. and Europe, which we saw happen a little earlier on, but also in Israel about the protracted nature of this war um, and the hostages in particular. How does that play into the chances for perhaps a ceasefire or an end to the war? So there's, there's growing pressure within Israel, in part because the estimate is that there's at least 100 hostages that Israeli intelligence thinks are still alive. We know that, unfortunately, at least 20 to 30 have been killed in the course of the war itself. And increasingly, families in Israel are saying it's time to prioritize the return of the hostages over what Netanyahu is promising, which is victory over Hamas. And if we start to think about those two goals, it might be that they're in, in, in sort of incommensurate. That is to say that if you absolutely destroy Hamas in the way that he's talking about doing so, you might risk the lives of the hostages, you might produce a greater humanitarian disaster. And so increasingly there's domestic pressure saying that he's doing this for his own survival, that Netanyahu is running for re-election on the promise of an absolute victory over Hamas, which is itself an illusion. That's impossible to completely extinguish Hamas, and even if you did, you'd do so at the cost of these lives. So I, I think that is shaping the background context for a negotiated deal. Uh, there is a negotiation going on mediated partially by Qatar and Egypt about possibly releasing hostages in up to as much of a two-month ceasefire. Now, Netanyahu's arguing that it would be a two-month ceasefire. It wouldn't be an end to the war. But it would relieve the pressure by getting out more of the hostages, if not all of the hostages. But it would also entail some real significant costs, because Hamas is arguing for a release of Palestinian prisoners. And that itself is a, is a costly move. And the question is, who do you release and how many do you release in order to get the 100 hostages back? Well, I mean, Qatar in particular is playing this really pivotal role, at least uh, according to reports, in terms of these negotiations. But have they taken uh, a turn since 
Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu made comments uh, about uh, the potential of a two-state solution um, and the fact that he doesn't see that being a possibility when it comes to the security of Israel. So I think the hostage negotiation deals that have been going on by Qatar and Egypt, there have been at least two different proposals on the table, one from Hamas and one from Israel itself, um, talking about different terms. Israel's terms are essentially a two-month break in the fighting, release of all the hostages, limited Palestinian prisoner release. Hamas is asking essentially for a complete end of the war and withdrawal of IDF forces from Gaza for those same uh, hostages. So it's unclear to me with those two kind of table proposals where we get to and whether there is a deal that is struck. The larger political context, which is, you know, how long will Qatar and Egypt continue to play a constructive mediating role when Netanyahu's ruling out a Palestinian state as a kind of foregone conclusion is an interesting question. Because U.S. policy, European policy, and Arab state policy is all premised on a, a Palestinian state, a two-state solution. Right. And if Israel takes this off the table, it's not clear they continue to want to make his life easier or to negotiate deals essentially on his behalf. And if he's going to require Arab state cooperation in post-war Gaza, it may be the cost may be essentially reversing that and allowing some form of a Palestinian state. Professor Michael Boyle, uh, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your insight. Thank you. A new report finds New Jersey has some of the weakest policies in the country for effective reading instruction. The research from a Washington, D.C.-based think tank was unveiled just after Governor Murphy announced a proposal during his State of the State speech earlier this month to focus on getting back to the basics of literacy education. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas takes a deeper look at how it will affect your kids. I hope to work with educators and legislators to improve literacy rates among our children. Teach our kids the fundamentals of reading, like sounding out letters. Governor Murphy's commitment to phonics in our schools during this month's State of the State address was music to the ears of educators who've been calling for New Jersey to go back to the basics in teaching literacy. The pendulum is swinging back to where literacy needs to be focusing, which is on those basics, vocabulary, phonological awareness, phonics. Several years ago, a new approach to reading was introduced called balanced literacy that moved away from phonics and instead had students using other cues like looking at pictures to decode words. You could look at a picture and it could be a rock, but it could be a pebble or it could be a stone. That was really where we went wrong was we started to embrace approaches that were supposed to be progressive, but were really going to take us back. Jersey Can has been collecting data on New Jersey's literacy scores and found students around the state were below grade level proficiency, especially students of color. We knew that there was just an eclectic sort of free for all approach around reading in the state of New Jersey. Some people are doing X, some people are doing Y, some people are doing a little bit of both. And that's not the way to get optimal results for our students. Jersey Can formed a group called the Legacy of Literacy Coalition made up of several groups committed to teaching basics or the science of reading. They've advocated for the governor to update the Department of Education's curriculum standards. We know that approaches informed by the science of reading are the best way to get the largest swath of children reading effectively. The Legacy of Literacy Coalition sent a letter to the governor last Friday to commend his literacy agenda that they say should include some key items like science of reading training for all teachers with the appropriate curriculum, appropriate screening to know exactly where students are, and better communication home to parents. I think a lot has to do with data. So if you have 
the accurate data, you know the areas of weakness, you should be addressing those areas of weakness while at the same time you maintain the other skills that have already been mastered. And that does require teachers to have a good understanding of how to teach reading. So when you talk about science of reading, it's really the methodology that we're talking about. A few years ago, First Lady Tammy Murphy convened a state-funded, nonprofit tutoring center called the New Jersey Tutoring Corps that pushes into classrooms to help students close literacy gaps. They've been using the science of reading and have seen literacy scores improve from 23% proficiency to now 40%. And this word? That's right. What we are doing works. We are helping children learn to read. We are helping children come to grade level proficiency. Research shows that if they are not um, proficient in the area of literacy by grade three, we know that there's a higher percentage of our scholars who will not fare well in school. Um, they will become disaffected learners and they most likely will drop out by the time they get to high school. Updates have already begun at the Department of Education and new standards are expected to roll out in the fall of this year. In Newark, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, the next chapter in New Jersey's recreational cannabis market is starting to unfold. Now that rules for so-called consumption lounges have been approved by state regulators. These are places you can smoke weed or consume edibles legally and safely. But like the rest of the industry, these locations will come with a set of strict rules. Melissa Rose Cooper reports. Insane, right? Insane. Haytham McGalley still can't believe his eyes. I was born and raised here. This city was, you know, growing up here, we always tried to look for places to hang out or just to be us. Now Galley has a chance to create that space when he turns this Jersey City location into one of the first cannabis consumption lounges in New Jersey. For the city to allow us to have a space where we can be ourselves, express ourselves, educate one another, um, and change the stigma on a product that, you know, we've been consuming most of our lives, it's, it's, it's insane, it's crazy. And that's why I was like, I need to be one of the front leaders, one of the pioneers coming into the space, especially if it's in our hometown. We have to set this bar high and keep it there. It's another step business owners can take since the Cannabis Regulatory Commission approved rules for cannabis consumption areas last week. It's an opportunity for the industry to continue its growth that it's been on that trajectory and growing. Um, it's going to provide access to individuals that weren't able to smoke at, at home um, and they have a place to go and consume cannabis, both medical patients and consumers. So it's a big part of uh, operating in this market and opening up this market and continuing to grow this market. There are several rules to follow for medicinal and adult use operators wanting to expand their space. They include requiring any cannabis consumption area to be attached to a dispensary, customers must be at least 21 or older, medicinal patients must be allowed to bring their own cannabis into the location, and food cannot be sold on the premises. The reason that that rule is in place is because it comes from our enabling statute, which is otherwise known as the CREAM Act. Um, it's, it's written right into the law that, you know, the law does not allow grocery stores, delis, indoor food markets, or any other kind of food or alcohol to be sold on the premises or in or around the premises of a cannabis retailer. And because a cannabis consumption area has to be attached to a cannabis retailer, 
we need to follow the law and directive and the enabling legislation that the legislator gave to us as an executive branch agency. Eliza Bravad Rodriguez, CEO of the Other Side Dispensary, believes there's room for the rules to grow. But I think sometimes we need to sort of set the landscape first, see what that looks like. And I think when it comes to leg legislators and policymakers, you know, as long as they're willing to always come back to the table and listen to folks that are actually running these facilities and can give them best practice, then we have room to be able to grow and offer more within those spaces. Despite facing challenges, many small businesses in the cannabis market encounter, like getting municipal approval and securing enough funding, she's hoping to open the doors to the other side's consumption lounge by this summer. This is just such a different landscape. It's really, really not intended for us. If you look at the cost to start one of these up, you're, you're looking at a million and up. So just even being able to fundraise, to have the access to folks, to be able to contribute to what you're doing, and for them to even see your vision, I'm just, I'm so excited not only for my own freedom, but the freedom that I can bring to the other people around me, whether that be my team, my leadership, and also my investors. Although cannabis consumption lounges won't be able to have food for sale on the premises, patrons will be able to bring food or have it delivered. Food trucks outside the location will also be allowed. The rules are now pending approval from the State Office of Administrative Law. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. On Wall Street, stocks hit pause on a record-setting rally. Here's today's closing trading numbers. Gifting a new puppy or kitten may have seemed like a good idea during the holidays, but animal shelters say owners are practically knocking down their doors with pet gift returns in the months since Christmas. That's because the excitement and novelty wears off and the responsibility of caring for an animal kicks in. Ted Goldberg has the story from a shelter in Bergen County where dozens of pets have been surrendered in just the last few weeks. At the Bergen County Animal Shelter, Nacho isn't expected to stick around too long. He's great with, he seems to be okay with cats. Uh, he's a great family dog, he's a lot of fun. He's great, good with kids. But it's gotten a little more difficult to line up a home for this Jack Russell wire hair terrier mix. This shelter has taken in 25 dogs since Christmas. And shelter manager Bob Bergamini says many of them were initially given as gifts. <laughs> We do get a lot of returns for people uh, who give out pets for Christmas. I think people don't realize what they're getting into sometimes, the, the work, or they don't do, um, they, they don't do enough um, um, studying on the breeds and they don't realize what you know, certain breeds entail or if their children are, are allergic or someone in the family is allergic. Get a lot of buyer's remorse over the holidays. People get pets, don't realize what the responsibility is to have a pet. It's almost like having a, a child, an infant child. You have to feed them, you have to clean up after them. Bergen County Commissioner Stephen Tonelli says post-Christmas surrenders have been an annual issue since he took office more than a decade ago. For 12 years it happens. So this, this year seems to be, we seem to really get inundated. The shelter has 60 dogs. Bergamini says they could take on more small dogs like Nacho, but there's not much room left for big dogs like Bamboo the Husky. He's a typical Husky breed, so the, they, they can be a little more difficult. Um, he would require somebody with Husky experience. He's a little mouthy, a little stubborn, 
Um, he's full of energy. He's a working dog, sheds a lot. Um, and Huskies are a escape artist. Sit, sit, you know it. Bamboo is one of the longest tenured residents here, spending the last year and a half in the shelter. He needs a lot of land to burn off that husky energy. Bamboo is one of 30 dogs you can adopt from this shelter. They're up to date with vaccinations and they're all spayed or neutered um, before they're adopted. We also do evaluate all the dogs, so if there are any behavioral issues, um, we'll address those as well. One thing you can guarantee is they really do their due diligence to make sure that uh, when your pet is adopted here from here, you have all the tools you need to be a successful pet owner. And they make sure they try and pair up uh, pet owners with the proper pets. If cats are more your thing, don't worry. There are plenty here. The shelter has lots of furry friends to share. It's thrilling to see families, the smiles on the children's face when they leave with the dog. Um, so these stories really, really help. Sit. They just ask that if you want to adopt a furry companion, do your research. Know if family members have allergies and don't make pets a surprise gift. In Teterboro, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. That does it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Have some water. Look at these kids. What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our Telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.